So if you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. That's the passage that we're going to begin with this morning. Now last week we began a three-part mission emphasis. Now, in case you don't know, if you're not a part of our church, you may not know what our mission is, but our mission statement is this. It's to make disciples by urging all people to believe in Jesus, belong to his family, and become like him. That's our mission. Our mission is to urge all people to believe in Jesus, to become disciples by urging them to believe in Jesus, belong to his family, and become like him. Now that statement is based upon a statement that Jesus gave when when he was finishing up his ministry, before he ascended up to heaven, we call that statement the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is the verse, the verses that we quoted together earlier. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he said, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, you need to understand, as a member of our church, we're in the chapter today, that our mission drives everything that we do. Every dollar that we spend, every activity that we partake in, we ask ourselves, how does this help us fulfill our mission, which is based upon the Great Commission? Now, our mission this year we call Compelled. And it's based upon a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, that, that has this phrase in it. The love of Christ compels us. When we experience the love of Christ in our lives, that love that is now within us will compel us to reach out to those who are far from God so that they can know the love of God. And there are four specific ways that that we need to do that. The first way is we need to give. I mean, let's be honest, okay? It takes money to do some of the things that we want to do. It takes money to, to, to see the ministry of Mission Columbia. It takes money to provide the house and utilities and, and all of the things for the Good Samaritan Clinic. It takes money for us to be able to send a missionary from our church to reach the island people in the North African Middle East region. It takes money for us to continue to support many of the missionaries that have come out of our church. And not to mention a lot of other good ministries that we support. Not to mention our, our mission board that we support and our North American, North American mission board that we support. It takes money. And, and the minimum amount that we need to do the things that we believe God's called us to do is $125,000 a year over and above what we already commit to give to our tithes and, and our other offerings. $125,000. That is a minimum for us to do the things that we believe God's called us to do. And so, to be perfectly honest with you, to be candid, one of the things that we're asking you to do over these next three weeks is make a commitment to give. Pray and ask God what God wants you to give over and above your tithes and your other offerings to, to support our mission's emphasis that we believe God's called us to do. But here's what you need to understand. If all you do 
us to do. And we believe that there are three things that each and every one of us should do and can do unless we're in a position where our health prohibits us from doing some of them. But the fact of the matter is, our health will never prevent us from doing all of them. The first thing we talked about last week is we talked about prayer. And praise God, that's one of the things that all of us can do, right? I mean, if we still are a sound mind, or if we still are a half mind, we can pray. Prayer is something we can all do. And the good news is, is prayer is the most important thing that we can do. It's the first thing that we can do. And that's what we discovered last week from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul said, I'll urge you, first of all, to pray for everyone. Before we do anything else, we need to pray. Because if we aren't praying, we are operating in our power and we're missing the power of God. But when we pray, we are connecting with the power of God and we get not only what we can do on our own, but we begin to get what God can do through us. And we discovered last week that, that the primary emphasis of our prayers needs to be for the lost world. Now that doesn't mean that we don't pray for those who are sick. It doesn't mean we don't pray for those who have other needs, family needs, financial needs. We, we should pray for those things. But we discovered that the most important thing we pray for is for the lost world. Because, because God said this, it says this in 1 Timothy 2, verse 3, it's good and it pleases God who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we can know that as we're praying for a lost world, and we're praying specifically for people who are on our heart, we're praying according to the will of God, because God's will is that all people be saved and come to a knowledge of His truth. And, and so we need to be praying for lost people. As you pray each and every day, you need to pray for lost people. You need to join together with a couple of other people and covenant together to pray for lost people. I will encourage you right now, by the end of this series, to make a commitment to join a new ministry that we are starting, where we're going to ask you every day to pray specifically for one ministry evangelistic need. Anybody can do that, right? I mean, anybody can pray for one specific thing every day, and we're going to be asking you to do that. And so you pray for the laws, you Pray for missionaries, for evangelists, for, for even delicate churches around the world. We pray that, that God will open doors of opportunity for us. And so we pray. But this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to go into the second thing that I believe God has called us to do. And that is care. Now I want you to look at me for just a moment. You see, I believe with all my heart, God wants us to listen to his voice as we Pray because prayer is not only talking to God, prayer is listening to God. And so God wants you to listen to his voice. And as you listen to his voice, I believe that he will compel you to get up off your knees and go out into your neighborhood, into your community, into our city into our state, into our nation, and into our world, caring for people who are in need. 
sharing the gospel begins with our love. We will never love until we share. But we will never share effectively until we love. Now one of the most well-known passages in, in the entire Bible is 1 Corinthians 13. If you go to many weddings, you've heard that passage quoted. And certainly it needs to be quoted in, in the light of marriage and weddings, doesn't it? Because we need to understand what our marriages are built on and it's built on God's love. But all that give us this passage in, in, the, in the context of marriage, he gave us this passage in the context of life. And so Paul is saying that, that love should guide and direct every area of your life. Now look at verse 1. I want to read to it, read you from, from the Good News Translation what it says. It says, If I have no love, my speech is no more than a noisy gong or clanging bell. Now listen to how that chapter ends. It says there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now don't miss that. I mean, this is vital to everything that we do. Paul is saying, God's word is saying, love is a big deal for us as God's people. Now let's take a moment and, and let's just look at what God's word says about love and start to finish. When, when God set Israel apart and he gave them the law, this is what he said in Leviticus 19, verse 18. He said, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so from the very beginning, under the law, God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love your neighbor just like you love yourself. When Jesus was here on planet Earth and he was walking, he was asked one time, what is the greatest commandment of all? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he said, the second is like to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, everything that you have read the Word of God up to now hinges on obeying these two laws. If you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, you love your neighbor as yourself, you will be fulfilling the entire law, all of its parts. Do you get that? I mean, everything else that the Old Testament told us was based upon loving God and loving other people. But Jesus went even further than this. He took the old standard of the law and love, and he raised it. He said this in John 13. He said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. In John 15, he said, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, under the law, we were told, love others as much as you love yourself. I mean, that's pretty hard in and of itself, isn't it? But Jesus said, I'm changing it up. I'm adding something to it. I'm telling you what the intent has always been. And that is that you love others the way I love. Now, think of just a moment. If you know the Bible at all, 
then what you say is no more than a noisy gong or a clanging bell. Think about it. A noisy gong, a clanging bell. Can you imagine how irritating those two things would be after a while? I mean, it's one thing to hear a bell ring on the aisle. I mean, that sounds kind of good, and it can be a reminder. But can you imagine that bell just constantly ringing? Can you imagine a noisy gong being hit over and over and over? Can you imagine how irritating that would be after a while? It's just noise. It doesn't make sense. It has no purpose. And what Paul says is this. He says that when we share our words without love, we're a little more than that. A noisy gong or a plaguey if we preach or teach, if we share our testimony, if we share the gospel, if we open up a tract with someone and we share it, and yet we do not have genuine love toward that person, we're nothing more than noise. What we're saying will never connect with them. It not only doesn't make sense over time, it becomes very annoying. You see, the gospel should be music to the ears of those who are far from God, not a noisy bell or a clanging gong. Now, music is soothing. Music is comforting. Does music compel us to do things? Sure it does. It can. Can music be convicting? Yes, music can can be absolutely convicting. There are times that, that we sing songs here that the words of those songs convict me. And so music is not just soothing. Music can be compelling. Music can be convicting. But I'm afraid that all too often what the world hears from us is simply noise. <laughs> and the reason it has nothing to do with their ears it has everything to do with our love. And so understand, the gospel and the mission that we have been given doesn't begin with our words. It begins with our love. But here's the second truth. True love will compel us to action. Turn over to 1 John. It's right toward the end of your Bible. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. You can find it there if you go toward the back. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. I, I want to read the verse to you in, in the Living Bible. Listen to what it says. It says, little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them. Let us show it by our actions. You see, love isn't just a by what we say. The Bible says our love is displayed by what we do. Love isn't just how I feel. Love is how I act. Love is not an emotion. Love is a behavior. Love is a verb. Now don't misunderstand. Feelings are good. But we can't always control our feelings. Would you agree with that? But what we can control is our behavior. I doubt Jesus had warm fuzzies 
when he was being nailed to a cross, when he was being beaten without mercy, when he was being spit on, when he was being mocked, I doubt Jesus had warm fuzzies toward the people who were doing that to him. And yet he could say, Father, forgive them, or they do not know what they do. You see, I may not be able to control as a human being how I feel, but I certainly can control what I do. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, don't waste your time wondering what you love your neighbor. Act as if you do. As soon as you do this, you will learn one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. So love is a choice. Love is an action. A well-known Harvard psychologist said this, we are more likely to act ourselves into a feeling than we are to feel ourselves into an action. We're more likely to act ourselves into a feeling. In other words, my feelings will follow my actions than we are to act or to feel our way into an action. You see, care is simply love in action. Someone once said this, you've heard it before, but nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And there's a lot of truth in that, isn't it? No one really cares how much we know. We can share the gospel very eloquently. We can, we can quote the scriptures. We can do all of this. But people really don't care what we know until they know that we really care. We demonstrate our love not by what we say, but what we do. We can gather together on Sunday morning and we can talk about our care for the world without Christ, but if we really care, that love is going to compel us to do something. That love is going to compel us to take action. And so the first truth is this. Our mission doesn't begin with sharing words. Our mission begins with love. The second truth is this. Love, true love, biblical love, is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not simply words. Love is an action. Here's the third truth. Jesus modeled this approach to fulfilling the mission. Now I want you to turn with me to John chapter 9, if you have your Bible. John chapter 9 tells us the story of a man who was blind. He was born blind. And as Jesus and his disciples were walking along, the Bible tells us that his disciples saw the man sitting there, and they asked why he was blind. They said, Lord, is this man blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? Now, he was born blind. So he hadn't committed any sins yet in, in the flesh. And so they must have been talking about his sinful nature within that was evidently worse than some other people's sinful nature or was his parents' sin. You see, that was the mindset that, that people had in that day. If you were born with some sickness, if you were born with some illness, if you were born with a deformity, then, a deformity, then it must have been the result of either your sin or your parents' sin. But Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, neither. But, but so that God's power could be displayed. So Jesus said, this man wasn't, wasn't born blind because of his sin or anybody else's sin, was born blind so that, so that God's power could be seen through this man. 
And so Jesus reached down and he, he spit on the ground. And I know this sounds kind of weird, it sounds kind of nasty, but he spit on the ground and he made a little mud cake. And he took that mud cake, that mud pie, he put it on the man's eyes. And then he said, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and I want you to wash off the mud. And the man did. And the man could see. Here was a man who was born blind. And yet now, through the mud cakes and the touch of Jesus, he could see. And so he came back and was obviously excited. And evidently Jesus did this in, in almost a private setting. Because as the man came back, people would wonder, how did this happen? Who did this to you? And he began to tell them about Jesus. This man named Jesus did this too. And news got out to the Pharisees about this. So they brought him in and began to question him. Who healed you? How were you able to, to see? And he told them that Jesus did. And they didn't like it. And so they began to question him and interrogate him. And they said all kinds of things about him. And then the man finally said, well, I don't know whether Jesus is the Son of God or who he is, but this is what I know. I was blind. Now that I see Well, this irritated the Pharisees. And you know what they did? They kicked him out of the church. They threw him out of the synagogue. And I want you to listen to what it says in John chapter 9, verses 35 and following. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, when Jesus found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man who was blind said, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now here's the point. Before Jesus ever shared the good news, that he was the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah that was to come, before Jesus ever shared any of that, what did he do? He healed the man's blindness. He met his need. Now that's not how it always was. There was a man who was paralyzed, and Jesus knew from the very beginning that his greatest need was not to walk, his greatest need was to be forgiven. He obviously had terrible guilt, and he forgave his sins before he healed the man. But the forgiveness of sins wasn't a direct prerequisite to the healing. Jesus met need. You see, if, if you look through the Gospels, you will discover time and time again that Jesus' life is a tapestry that weaves together the spoken word and the ministry of care. Jesus would share the good news and he would meet people's needs. He would meet people's needs and he would share the good news. When Jesus showed up, the blind could see, the lame could walk, the deaf could hear. The dead would come back to life. Now understand, Jesus came for a greater purpose. Because to meet a need and die in sin is still to die in sin. But we need to understand that 
here on earth. He did not neglect people's needs. He reached out and he met those needs. And as we look through the New Testament, we discover that the early church followed Jesus' example. One particular passage is, is in Acts chapter 3. You probably know the story, but Peter and John were going to the temple to pray, and, and this man who had been born lame, he was a professional beggar, and he couldn't work, he couldn't walk. So he begged for a living, and, and he was there at the temple gates, which means that he was a smart beggar, and he went to where people were going, and they would have kind of a compassionate heart. And so he was begging for money, and, and notice what it says in verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from him. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And this is just one example. The church was involved in caring for the needs of people. Not just the needs of people in their family, in their community, but the needs of people because they had been touched with the love of Jesus. The love of Christ compelled them to show that love in a tangible way with others. And from the birth of the church until today, the church has been involved in that. The church has been involved through to establishing hospitals and caring for the sick. The church has been involved in, in, in establishing educational communities and colleges and universities and schools. From, from the very beginning, the church has been involved by, by orphan care and caring for the, the poor and the homeless and the elderly. The church has always done that. And we can go on and on and on. And the reason they do this is because they are reaching out with care, love, and action. Now, the north side is our desire that we will meet needs in Jesus' name, both individually and corporately. Now, let's talk about corporately for just a moment. What are some of the things that we're doing? I just want to share with you some things we're doing. First of all, we're actively involved in relief work right now. Chris, who's there to my right, raise your hand, Chris. Chris is, Chris is someone that our church has been involved in helping. When the floods came, his house was devastated, and we reached in there as a body and began to work to help rebuild his house. But what is need is that care in action, that love in action, allowed us Steve Allen, to share the gospel with Chris. And as Chris saw love in action, you know what he did? He gave his life to Jesus. And he got saved. Relief work. We are partnering with South Carolina Baptists to help try to rebuild 5,000 homes around South Carolina. That takes manpower, people who are willing to say, I can do that. I can knock out walls, I can put up sheet rock, I can strip out carpet, I can do whatever. You know, I, I can't do any of that, but doggone it, I can pick up trash and put it in the dumpster. And we're caring, we're providing relief in Jesus' name. Mission Columbia, the rotting bullet, helps lead 
So let me ask you a question. Has this supernatural love touched your heart? Has this supernatural love changed your heart to the point that you're going, and I want to care? I, I don't know how. How can I get involved? How can I, how can I begin to serve? How can I begin to make a difference? Well, I've shared with you some ways. Steve or I can share with you some other ways. Plenty of ways. The question we have to ask first is have the love of Christ compelled us to do Because if we've experienced it, then there's no way that we can see legitimate need and not be moved to compassion and moved to action. So have you experienced that love? If you're here and you haven't, and that's the number one thing I want to encourage you to do this morning. To give your heart and life to Jesus. Let his love flood your soul. Because let me tell you, there's nothing greater than knowing the love of God that was revealed in Jesus Christ. It's a life-changing love. Changes everything. And it doesn't mean you'll be Somebody's head off, you'll feel guilty about it, you'll have to repent. <laughs> because God's love changes us. Changes us on the inside and changes us on the outside. <clears throat> so if you experience God's love, if you have in just a moment, I'm going to leave you in a prayer where you can receive God's love. But my next question is this if you have experienced it, are you sharing it? Are you, are you giving to the world that love through your care? Are you? How are you? I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. Why do you do that? If you're here, you said, I've never received God's love, and I desperately need it. I know I need His forgiveness, and I need His love in my life. Let me tell you, His love is so great. He gave His one and only Son to pay for your sins so that you can be forgiven, so that you can spend eternity with Him. And all He tells you to do is admit your sin. Place your faith, your trust in Him. Give your life to Him. Trust Him with your life. He will come into your life and change everything. So if you're here and you haven't done that, let me encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Lord, I come to you today. Lord, acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I don't want to live apart from you anymore. I don't want to live on my own anymore. I need you. Forgive me for my sin. I know you love me. Prove You died an agonizing death so I can be forgiven. Deal with your love. Change my life. Take control. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live for you. if you're here, you're already a believer, I want to encourage you to pray the rest of this prayer with us. And Lord, I ask you to use me to make a difference in the world. Today, 
I make the commitment to pray for the lost one. People who are just like I was. Lost in darkness. Forgive me for not praying for the lost. And Lord, today, I make a commitment to care. I pray, Father, that, that from this moment on, I will begin to put your love into action by the way I serve our hurting world. And I pray this 